Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Africanist, your favorite podcast. I am your host, Bam Banjai, and today my first guest is uh, Dr. Maram Gay. And Dr. Maram Gay is an associate professor at East Carolina University. She will be accompanied uh, by Dr. Umar Ba, who is an assistant professor at Cornell University. And both of them were here before on the Africanist last year after a major uprising took place in Senegal. And I have brought them back here to talk about the recent developments about the uh, Sonko Ajisa case. And for those of you who <clears throat> do not uh, have the background information about the case, Uh, we did an episode on the uprising and the case against Usman Sonko uh, on a previous episode of The Africanist. So I will advise you to go back to that episode. Now today, we will talk about the recent developments about the Sonko case, Sonko Ajisar case, but also what has happened since the uprising last year and what do all of that mean in terms of the future of Senegalese politics, but also social and cultural lives. So last year, Senegal experienced the worst popular uprising in its history. And this was the result of Usman Sonko accused of calling for insurrection and disorderly conduct while he was on his way to appear in court for a rape case accusation from a young masseuse named Ajisar. 14 people died following the uprising and more than 600 people were seriously injured. It has been little over a year since the uprising. So what lesson can we learn or have we drawn from it? And also what are the recent developments in the Songo Ajisar rape case? So we'll start with Maram. Hello everyone, uh, Bamba, thank you for having us back. Um, hello to my fellow panelist, Oma. It's good to be back and it's hard to believe that it's been already a year since that uprising. And uh, the takeaway for me is that there is a lot that was underlining these events. Like we've said before, there was a lot of build-up to that event, even though the rape case itself is a matter by itself, but the uprising and the reactions in the aftermath of those accusations were literally churning prior to that with the added aggravation of the COVID-19 um, curfews and the youth frustration the approaching elections, and so much more in Senegalese politics. So for me, a year after, I don't think we've gone that far. It is unfortunate, really, and I reiterate my sadness for the families who lost people. But it seems like nothing has come in terms of... Um, uh, justice in terms of bringing a little bit more clarity in the minds of the Senegalese about this case as until recently, I think it's um, two days ago, when Agisa was confronted with um, the owner of the Sweet Beauty massage parlor. Uh, they were heard by the judge. And I think that um, the fact that the former judge passed away contributed to uh this uh the fact that it is been a year since actually Adisa appeared in court to face the lady but at the same time for Sonko who has been charged to be to be tried so i think um we are at an interesting junction and hopefully there will be some um clarity then uh, the trial will be held if there is a trial but at least um I think that I am not the only person who's waiting for something to happen. 
um, that will give us some kind of a closure as far as these accusations are concerned, because as we're heading to the election, the presidential elections, uh, it is imperative that something happens for us to know whether Usman Sonko will be eligible to run for president or not. Thank you, Maram. Uh, Omar, same question. So what lessons uh, have we learned or should we draw from the uprising? And then if you can also uh, tell us a little more about the uh, recent development. Hello, Bamba, and uh, hi, Maram. Good to be with you again. So, yeah, it's, it's been a year, and I don't think any lessons that have been drawn from uh, the events uh, as far as the Senegalese state and its population that concern the underlying causes of the crisis of the uprising are still with us. Um, the, the state, the institutions, and people's lives are taken hostage by the political class and here, by political class, I mean to include both the government and the opposition. Um, Fourteen people were killed during um, the uprisings. There has been no probe. There has been no investigation to figure out how they were killed. The repression by um, the police force and the gendarmerie during those uprisings were brutal. There is a need to discuss, debate, and also situate responsibilities when it comes to police repression and the police violence during these uh, events. Our justice system is still very problematic, uh, very, very slow moving. It's been a year, and we're not anywhere near to knowing whether there will be a trial and when. Um, and I, I echo Mark's sentiment that uh, there is a sense of sadness about all this because this is a very serious case. It's a very serious accusation, I think. Um, 14 people lost their lives during these events. Yet it's become some soap opera type of uh, theater, basically, surrounding this whole thing. That that has engulfed the whole country. I think there should be a way to to address this in in a very level-headed way, in a very uh, professional manner, and so we can all get to the bottom of what really happened and what did not happen, and then we could strengthen our institutions out of this, and then people could also Thank you very much, Umar, for your uh, answer. Now, just like you mentioned, our justice system is problematic in many ways. And given the history of an unbalanced and weaponized justice system, do you guys believe that Ajisar and Sonko will benefit from a fair trial, if there is any? Maram? Um, I don't understand what you mean by a weaponized justice system, but I feel that the I, I do understand why it took a year to some extent um, for this case to um, be tried or if it's, if it's ever going to be tried because two days ago it wasn't Sonko that was actually facing Ajisar. It was Ajisar and the owner of the of the salon because in the aftermath of people, 14 people dying and uh, the gravity of the situation at the time, I can understand that maybe there is a need to calm down and, you know, wait, especially since we was, we are still dealing with the, with the COVID-19 pandemic. And also because the, the former judge, um, passed away. I do understand it, but I think that as we are coming close to the election, it is important and it is imperative that we find some kind of 
resolution to this case because for it is important for so many reasons politically and but also for women who are victim of rape this case is very important in how serious consequent cases will be taken or not so i do think that it is important now whether they will get fair treatment or not I do believe in the justice system in Senegal, and I think that even though this is a high-profile case, there is a possibility and the potential for both of them to be taken or to be treated as the citizens of the country they are, regardless of their status. So I do believe in that, and but I would say that people need to let the judiciary do its job. Yes, they need to let the judiciary do its job. And I think it's uh, important here for me to clarify uh, what I mean by weaponized. Uh, mm -hmm. We see that the justice system is not free in the sense that it is linked to the executives. The president, Makisal, or whoever is president of Senegal has a say in how the justice system is run and for instance the Conseil Superior de la Magistrature the president is is part of it which is quite weird so there is no uh, strict separation uh, between the executive and the judiciary and we've seen historically whether with this regime or past regimes that uh, the justice system has been used to take down opponents for instance and we've also seen that some people will benefit from certain type of favors in the sense that a person could steal a chicken and spend i don't know six months in prison or more than that or while someone else can steal billions of, of, of CFA and nothing really happens to them. So in that sense, it's unbalanced. Uh, everybody is treated fairly and that weaponized because it is still linked to the executive and the president has a lot of power uh, when it comes to how the judiciary is run. Umar, any thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, before I get to that, let me, let me also say that I think institutionally, we do have that separation of power. Institutionally, I don't think that the, the justice system is run by, by the president. Although, yes, he is the president of the Constitution of the Magistrature, but it's a ceremonial. I don't think that needs to be, can tell the magistrates what to do and how to do But he, he so, gets he gets a point. Yeah, uh, I mean, those those know, judges, for instance, yeah, the judge who is yes. in charge of the case is appointed by the president. So do yeah, you think that in that case yeah. that he might have certain uh, power over him? No, I, I do think believe so. that I do believe that the magistrates, even though appointed, it's like you know the president appoints the the president of the director of the University of Dakar as well. So the president does have that power to appoint to this position that doesn't mean it all the magistrates to do. And I think the magistrates themselves, I believe in the antiquity, in the personal antiquity of these people who are just this position that I don't think they they would. Now, there may be some influence that the president or the executive has over some specific people in the justice system, but institutionally, I don't think, uh, I think there is a separation at the institutional level at this if there is some personal failings of specific individuals in the system, then that's on them, but not on the But the people who are in the judiciary have protested against the president's hold uh, before in the judicial of the, on the judicial system, well, including. I, 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 yes, I mean, judge so. them, judge them uh, when he resigned. His main reason was that is that the justice system is not free. This is not coming from me. But somebody who was in it and decided to leave because of the uh, handhold of the executive. So we cannot say or pretend that there is a separation of power in Senegal or there is a certain type of check and balance. Doesn't Let me exist. say, that Judge Dem is one person, one magistrate out of a few hundreds of magistrates there. He's entitled to his position. He felt that the system wasn't fair. He left. That's you know great. He went and become a politician, ran for elections or whatever. 
I do not think he speaks for the whole system. But there are others, I do believe, that who have personal integrity, even though appointed by the president, would still do their job with integrity. I do believe in that. Now, some, they are not all equal, of course, and then they may, some of them may be subjected to the influence of the government or the president. Yes, that's fine. But I don't think overall we can say that the justice system is subjected to the whims of, of the presidency. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Uh, the basement of the system is highly problematic. And people who are in it have recognized that, have protested against that. These are not made up. So people who are in it have acknowledged that the executive has too much influence over that. So do you think there is a need? for, let's say, a total reconstruction of the judiciary and make sure that the current influence that a president can have. And this, this goes beyond Makisawa, actually. It's not, it was the same during Ablaiwad. It was the same during President uh, Juf. And I'm sure it was similar also during Sangor. So do you think that there is a need for a reshuffling of the system and also make sure that the executive does not have the current, this is beyond the Sarasongo case, but make sure that the executive does not have the kind of influence they have on the judiciary right now. I don't personally think so because I don't believe that there is a, a lot of influence from the executive on the judiciary. I personally don't think so. I don't see the signs of that. I have seen that we have had fair elections, we have had fair trials in Senegal that were actually high-profile um, trials, and I did not see any kind of influence from the executive on um, those cases. So to me, with regard to this case, I believe in our judicial system, and I think that we need to let it do its job. Since my, my position is that we do have undue influence and pressure exerted on the judiciary, not by the executive, not by the president, but including the president. But it's the whole political class, including the opposition. So we do have a justice system that is being pressured by the political class, both government and opposition leaders, by the monopoly class and by an economic class. So the victims are here. Those who do not get their fair share from the justice system are the individual Senegalese who are not part of these three classes, the political class, the economic class, and the monopoly class. If there is a need to change the system, it is to make sure that all Senegalese would be treated fairly by this justice system. Right. So, and and I know 
we are not legal experts, but I'm just curious to know what will happen if the court finds Osman Sonko guilty of the accusations. And in the same regard, what should happen if they establish, the court establishes that the accusations were false and that there was a conspiracy, as uh, the Sonko camp has been uh, arguing. Ma'am? I think I'm going to take the, the other side and um, zero in to the Sonko. To Sonko. If Akisa is proven to have lied, she should just go to jail and be punished for that lie. But then her lie would have had disastrous consequences on the lives of women in general in Senegal because no rape victim is going to be believed. Already, because of the fact that many Sonko supporters believe that she's lying, women who have been raped are having a hard time coming out and being hurt or being believed. So that would be disastrous for women's rights in Senegal mm -hmm. and then uh, the victims of rape and sexual abuse. That's one. Mm -hmm. But second, for um, for Ajisar, then that would be literally her, her death. Whether she is in prison or out of prison, I don't think she's going to be safe in the country because already she has been judged by the public opinion. And now she actually lives in seclusion and people, you know, she has guards and all kinds of stuff. So just, if, I cannot even imagine if the courts prove her to have lied about this, what would happen? For Sonko, I think that if it is proven that he raped her, he should also go to jail. If he is proven to have raped Agisa, she's owed an apology for many, by, from many, many people. Mm -hmm. Omar? Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if there is a trial and Sonko is found guilty, then of course he should go and serve whatever sentence the judge decide it would be. So if it's a prison term, he, he should serve it and there's, there's no, no debate about that. Now if indeed it is found that there was some conspiracy here to frame Sonko or that Ajisar had, you know, said something that was not true, then we should also draw consequences out of that. And if she willingly lied and made false accusations, then she should be prosecuted as well. If there are other co-conspirators involved, they also should be uh, prosecuted as well. And this is where I think it is really, really important. And mm -hmm. someone has a big responsibility in this to speak to his followers, to calm them down, and to let the process take its course. It's really important, and only he can do that at this moment, and it's his responsibility. Mm -hmm. Recently, <clears throat> there have been WhatsApp audio messages uh, circulating uh, and picked up by the Senegalese press of an alleged conversation, and I'm using the term alleged here, uh, conversation between Mamou Jallo that the Sonko camp accused of being behind the quote-unquote conspiracy. Because they, they use that term, they, they're still using the complot, term of complot or conspiracy in the Sonko case. So this conversation is between Allegedly between Mamur Jallo and Ajisar, a lady also named Vivian, and a gentleman named Tonton Kuni. I listened to the conversation and it's available on YouTube. People can have access to that. And in this audio message, one can hear the man who supposedly Mamur Jallo say, among other things, that he cannot provide yet a passport to the woman who supposedly Ajisar 
because of the trial and that the woman in this case supposedly Agisa should wait uh, maybe another three more months until the end of the trial so that they can provide her with a passport and still in the same conversation you could hear the man say that i will keep i will keep my my promises and we have also learned recently so these are parts of the recent development of the existence of more audio messages including one in which allegedly ajisar allegedly confesses to her religious guide msinyas that nothing happened at the massage parlor between her and songo and again i'm using the term allegedly here because i, I am not personally sure if you know uh, i haven't heard that particular one they haven't released that one yet but some people have said that they've heard it there is a guy named mola morgan who was uh, who is a hip hop artist based in canada but also an activist who have been making facebook lives and sharing uh part of these leaked quote unquote leaked conversations between ajisar and her religious guide but also between ajisar and one of her friends named named mamsad okay so and these conversations of course these audio messages and these live videos by uh mola morgan have been the conversations all over the country right now and there are audiovisual experts in senegal who concluded that the conversation the first one that i mentioned between mamo jallo and supposedly mamo jallo and supposedly agisa was not doctored and therefore authentic what should we do with this information if it's authentic does it change anything or should it change anything about the course of the judicial action or does it overturn the narrative of the accusation if they can be admitted as evidence in a court of law madam i have listened to the one that is allegedly between mamou jallo and adisar and some other people I first don't think it proves anything but secondly if the, the the people who find that these are evidences of some kind of um how do I call it even complot they should if if they are in the sonko camp they should take that to to court when they are summoned as evidence and then we will have experts you know evaluate that mm-hmm. It's not I don't think it is our role to 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 make anything of this because of the fact that for me when I listened to it there was nothing that is abnormal to me between those what what those people were talking whether they are Ajisar or not because Ajisar is the most wanted person in Senegal while Sonko is the alleged rapist is going around running for elections being a mayor doing these things doing everything that he needs to be doing in Senegal i just I cannot move she can't go anywhere yet she's the alleged victim here so it would make sense if she would want to get out of the country but so why mom why mom jalozo what what's his stake in that he's just a simple civil this, servant that this is what i'm saying what i'm saying the, is that we have no proof that this is mamur jallo yeah alleged so mamur based jallo. on what is said in the in the audios mm-hmm. i don't see anything abnormal until it is proven that these are the people that they're talking about and who have um have been accused and they have proof that these are people who actually orchestrated all of this but for now those audios don't prove anything to me there was nothing that sounded like a complot in that conversation to me and i'm not sure if this is ajisar or mamou jallo or not but what i'm saying is that the content of the that audio that i listened to has nothing aggravating for now until it's proven 
to be authentically Mamu Jallo and that Mamu Jallo was behind this manipulation. That's what I'm saying. If this is a manipulation. Umar? Yeah, um, I have not listened to any of the audios. And this is the choice that uh, I made um, because I don't want to get bogged down into this um, nitty-gritty drama of the case. I would rather wait and see what will be presented in court. If indeed this is evidence that proves anything, then Sonko's lawyers should send it to, to the court. And when the trial starts, they should bring their experts who have authenticated this. And then those experts will testify in court under oath. And then the judges will evaluate whether this is a, this is an evidence that proves anything or disproves anything. It's, it's that simple to me. The only way for us to get to the bottom of this is to see what would be presented in court, both by Adisa's camps and lawyers and Sonko's lawyers. So I'll just, you know, be patient in a way to see what will be presented in court. <laughs> similar recently similar cases involving leaked audio messages uh, or videos um, I think the most recent case was the one of the Senegalese activist Kilifo who belongs to the Yanama movement was uh, who spent six months in prison uh, following a video that a guy recorded of him uh, dealing in passport trafficking and stuff like that. And that material was used or partly used to send him to prison for six months. And nobody questioned the authenticity of, I mean, even the question of authenticity was not raised at that time. And similarly, uh, Amiko Lejeng, who is a singer, also spent time in jail after an audio message of her calling Makisal a lizard circulated and she was sent to prison based on that single audio message. Nobody raised the issue of authenticity. But isn't it bizarre that in this case that people all of a sudden, especially people who belong to the Maki camp, are raising the question of authenticity? Madam? I think that in the case of Kilifer and Nicole, um, I'm assuming that when they were being tried or when they were uh, apprehended for this, um, they had authenticated them in court and make sure that the evidence was um, valid or that they themselves confessed to it. That's what I'm assuming. In the case of Kilifer, I think there is a difference between video and, and, and audio in that case because at least if video is not manipulated, you can see the person and, and, and know that this is the person and the audio might be, um, how do you call it, audible enough for people to know that this is what is talked about. So I did not really follow the uh, Kilifer's case um, closely. I saw the videos, but I did not really follow it closely. But I'm assuming that in both cases, those materials were authenticated and proven to be um, original and that on the basis of that, they were found. I, I think that it is wrong to call the president a lizard. Um, does it warrant somebody going to jail? I don't think so in a democracy. Um but for Kilifer's case, it was a case where he was seen in the video exchanging money and, and, and talking about helping somebody get visas and all of that. So it was very hard to not believe the authenticity of it. But I'm assuming that when it came to 
um, trying them and sending them to jail. I hope that it was authenticated, and that's why they are in, they were in jail. Omar, what should we do about the issue of authenticity? Doesn't it seem like people invoke it when it works for them, and they don't when it doesn't? I don't think this is just a matter of whether this is authentic or not. It is also that even if all three videos or cases were authentic, the the heart of the issue is whether those who were speaking were committing any crime or any damage, uh, any misdemeanor while they're being recorded. That's the question. In the case of Kilifer, uh, again, I'm not a legal expert, but it's a video recording of a crime in progress of someone conspiring to sell passports and discussing prices. In the case of uh, the the other lady, I forgot her name. Amiko Lejeng. Amiko Lejeng, yes. So the, the thing is, in the criminal code of Senegal, there is something called offense or shared letter. Now, this is um, something that we should get rid of. It doesn't make any sense to have it. It means basically insulting the head of state as an institution, which is misdemeanor. It's a daily state. It's a crime to to do that. Now we can discuss you know, the need to remove this because any healthy democracy should get rid of such laws. But the reality is that the law is there and if you violate it, you are subjected to being arrested. It is up to people like Sonko, who, lest we forget, is a member of the parliament. It's their job to actually go to the parliament and introduce legislation to get rid of those laws. But as long as they are there, if you call the president a lizard, then you are subject to being arrested. It's that simple. But what about people who call the president a liar, for instance, and who are not arrested in the history of Senegalese politics when people, uh, especially during presidential campaigns, people use all types of names against each other. It's not the first time somebody says something like that. Mustafa Mustafa Sisselo had, there is an audio of him insulting Makisal by mother that circulated. And nobody, he's, he's never been to jail for that. So why Amikole in this case? Well, okay, so I, again, this is uh, saying like, you know, no, no prosecutor prosecutes everybody who violates the law. Law is always, always selective. You may run a stop sign, the police is right there. He lets you go, doesn't bother you. The next person that comes runs the same stop sign and he's arrested and ticketed. So this is not, this is not, uh, basically by saying that X and Y did this, did this, didn't go to jail. Z shouldn't go to jail. That's not how the law operates. That's not how the law works. <laughs> All right, so uh, now we've seen recently uh, also just still in the uh, in this case that there were uh, three French, major French uh, news outlet, Le Monde, RFI, and uh, uh, I believe it was Jean Afrique, had an extensive yeah. interview with Ajisar. So they came to Senegal and interviewed Ajisar. And people, of course, were saying, oh, this is weird. It's been a year since the case was opened, and they are allowing these three major French news outlets 
to run stories about the case and interviews. You know, it raised a lot of eyebrows, especially on the Songko camp, but also people who are just regular observers and what are these media doing there? Uh, they did not allow that kind of openness to the local media, especially Ajisar, the local media cannot access or do not have any access to Ajisar. She made that one interview with online news outlet, and that was the only one. And then all of a sudden, we saw three major French and Francophone media come to Dakar and have an extensive interview with Ajisar. What do you think of that? Omar? I mean, I, I would not blame Ajisar for not speaking to the Senegalese media. I think she's been treated horribly by a lot of others and others, quote unquote, in, in Senegal. So that she decides to grant interviews to some international media on the one year anniversary of these events or of the accusation of rape is. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't read anything into this more than, you know, she wanted to speak out. She wanted to share what her experience has been since the, she made the accusation a year later and how unsafe she is. And she decided to speak to international media rather than the Senegalese media who's trashing her basically every single day on all websites. So I, I wouldn't blame her for, for When the when the scandal of the Miss Senegal happened, Agisa boldly came out and backed up the misses who were actually alleging that they had been raped in their function as misses. The reception that she had from the Senegalese public opinion was horrible. And all she was doing was telling the other alleged victims that she believed them. But they were telling her, you need to be quiet. Who are you to talk? There is nobody more hated in Senegal than Agisar. I can say this. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that after a year, in light of what I just said, that Usman Sonko has been going everywhere, going by his business, you know, just going by his life. When he's the one who's the alleged abuser. But Agisar, who's the alleged victim, has been living guarded. She cannot say a word. So do you blame her for not speaking to the Senegalese media? Who's going to believe her? And like you just said, anybody has the right to go wherever they want. She chose the, the international media. So in light of that, I don't think Agisar is wrong to speak to Jeune Afrique, Le Monde, or any other international media. So, so here, we're still talking about alleged victim and alleged perpetrator. No court has found uh, Ajisar's accusations false or found uh, Sonko guilty. So just for uh, our listeners to to know that. One of the major developments related to the case is the hiring of Capitaine Touré by uh, a private university in Dakar, EIM, uh, Institute African Management. And he's firing a couple of days later. Now, Captain Ture is the one who wrote the police report uh, when Ajisar came to the police station. And according to the EIM administration, the school, they received pressure from the regime to fire Captain Ture. So Captain Ture was fired from the police by the government uh, last year. Then he went back to school, got his degree, and was very excited about getting this job with EIM and put it on Facebook and then a couple of days later he was fired. And today, Girasi, who is the president of the school, confirmed that he received enormous pressure from the government. Uh, He was uh, earlier today talking on Web, and he, he said that. So, which seems to me that there is some kind of some kind of harassment against a citizen who is trying to make a living and take care of his family. Here we're talking about Captain uh, Ture. Is it normal for a regime to exert this type of pressure on one of its citizens? 
again, I, I do not know the details of Captain Touré's um, teaching at EIM and what led to the, the firing. But it does help maybe to for us to, to focus on the bigger picture here and speak at the institutional level. Um, my, my sense of what a state ought to do is to take care of the needs of its citizens. And in that regard, there are 17 million of us. We can spend days, you know, speculating and talking about the issues of one person who's being persecuted by the state. Or we can see what the needs are for the country at large and how difficult life is for most of our compatriots who are still dying in um, hospitals and dispensers without the need or without the care that they deserve. To me, those are the biggest issues to, to, to really focus on. Not taking away anything from what Captain Touré may be going through. So I don't want to go into the details of why Captain Touré lost his job, what courses was he teaching there, was he qualified to teach those courses, was the pressure. I do not know. Yeah. Girasi confirmed that it was pressure from the government. I just wanted to... Well, Senegal well, uh -huh. does have labor laws, right? So does that mean that Girasi himself actually broke those laws if he's pressured by the government to, to fire an employee that he saw was qualified and hired him? That's one. Uh, second, Capitan Toure is a citizen of Senegal. If he feels that he was fired wrongly, then he should sue them for that. We have labor laws. My other question is, in terms of qualifications, what kind of qualification does he have? You said that he went back to school, but the case has been only a year. It's only been a year since he's been fired. So he already went to school in a year to be qualified to teach at a university. That's a question I have. But I think that to just say that, okay, I had pressure from the government. Who pressured you and why did you yield to that pressure? Because there are so, um, labor laws. That means that you yourself are breaking the labor laws. Because I don't think the president can pressure you because it's, AIM is not a public university. It is a private university. So for the president to tell you to fire somebody and you fired them, you broke the laws, the labor laws then. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but I think we should take Grassi for his words because he was also at the center of it. But it's just this kind of harassment. Why are they obsessed with making this guy's life difficult? And of course, we cannot ignore the fact that the, or the role that he played in the early days of the case. So we cannot just say, of course, there are labor laws. But in this case, it's not actually the president himself calling Girasi and say, hey, you need to fire him, but it would be the minister. But in any case, it's just bizarre that this guy who was once a civil servant fired because of the case managed to finish his degree. Uh, he got a master's in uh, political and uh, in political science, so science juridic et politique at ICAD. So I'm guessing it's a case of him just going to continue his master's finishing because we know that to be a gendarme in Senegal, you have to have certain level of education. It's, not, it's different from the police. So he already had some academic background and I get he just went and finished. And which is not uncommon even here in the United States to see that people drop out and come back and finish in a year or two. So it's totally possible. Just to give the listeners more details about this. So recently, a group called Mafia Kachikat uh, started a online fundraising for Capitan Ture and raised close to 35 million CFA for Capitan Ture following his firing uh, from the EIM school. And uh, it's a way for the people, I guess, or the people who donated money to help him have a decent life until 
<laughs> they say 2024, which is the year of the presidential election. <laughs> And I'm going to use that as a transition to talk about the recent elections. The recent municipal and departmental elections saw a massive voters participation. I think it's the largest uh, we've seen uh, in a municipal election in Senegalese history. And the presidential coalition, Benno Bokyakar, lost key districts, including Dakar, Gijawai, uh, which was run by Aliou Sall, uh, President Makisal's brother, was the mayor there. Zigenshore, Kaulak, among other places. And although Benno Bokyaka or the presidential coalition conserved the majority of the districts, their winning margins significantly decreased. So what kind of reading could we make of the election results in relation to what happened in 2021 and where we are heading in 2024, the presidential election. Yes, madam, you, you, okay. you can... Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we need to remember that prior to the Agisar Sonko case, um, President Makisal was not the most popular president. So I think people lose sight of that. Um, the fact that before this case, which has consumed the whole... Uh, oxygen around political oxygen around Senegal. Macky Sall is not a popular president now. So many people are frustrated by um, the way he runs the the country, and um, the there is a reason why Usman Sonko actually you know garnered I think was it nineteen percent of the votes last. So prior to these rape accusations, so I don't think that it should be read. In the in that same way, of course, there is a lot of frustration, and I'm sure that uh, it has uh, the rape case has galvanized um, Usman Sonko's camps, and then also his coalition with what is his name again, Bartelemi, and all the others has played a role in Makisal um, camp losing during these past elections. Um, mm-hmm. But I must say that personally. Uh, and as somebody who who is active in 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 women's groups and 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 um, gender activism, I was really um, happy to see younger people uh, being elected, women being represented, even though the parity law has yet to be applied to its fullest. So, as somebody who doesn't, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter to me whether Soko is the you know the winner or. Matisal is not winning or not, but my reading to it is that there has been a lot of frustration uh, against Matisal's regime prior to this high-profile rape case, and I think um, the high-profile rape case has added to it, but it's not the major factor. Mm-hmm. Omar, we've seen a drop from fifty-eight percent in twenty nineteen to about forty-three percent in. Uh, 2021, so in the span of two years. And if these results repeat themselves in 2024, then Obokiakar will lose the presidency. So what kind of reading should we make of this? What should we make of this uh, election in general and the drop uh, in percentage points of Benno Obokiakar, which is the name of the presidential coalition, Benno Obokiakar. I think the the progress that the opposition coalitions made is very significant. 
um, we we should also be careful with the, the numbers, the percentages, because uh, we shouldn't be comparing scores at presidential elections to scores at local municipal elections. Um, the dynamics are different. The coalitions are different. The candidates were not the same. Makisal was not running, for instance, at the municipal elections. But in any case, there is a lot of uh, gained ground uh, for the opposition leaders, uh, Sonko, Jazz, uh, Babakat, Jobin, and Chess. That's, that's a very significant, and that poses a big challenge for Makisal's coalition for this next election. I think it's uh, this June for the legislative elections. Those would be very challenging for the presidential coalition. And 2024 also may pose a big challenge um, to Benobokoyaka, Koaper, um, whichever candidates they decide to, to fill. I continue to believe that Matisal will not run for 2024. I believe and I always held the position that this is his last and final term. So the competition within his own party would be fierce as well and would also potentially could be exploited uh, by the opposition to, to their advantage. In any case, we are, we are growing, uh, we're heading to uh, quite contentious and unpredictable electoral outcomes uh, in the next two years. And we just have to wait and see uh, all that will unfold. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something important <laughs> being Makisal is done as far as presidential terms are concerned. I think the constitution has been clear. Although when he was asked last time about his intent to run for a third term or not, his answer was, I'm not going to answer yes, I'm not going to answer no. But I think in for the majority of Senegalese, uh, it's clear that he's done. But it's also important, I think, is the comparison here is sensical in the sense that Makisal had the same coalition when he was going into the presidential election in 2020, in 2019, sorry. It was the same coalition that, that won the presidential election, and it's the same coalition that lost in terms of percentage points in the municipal election. And there is a hint, Yewi Askanwi, which is the coalition of Sonko, Khalifatal, and Bartelemi, to stay together for the legislative elections and potentially for the presidential election. And of course, there will be other actors, and it might be decisive in uh, terms of results. So from that perspective, I think comparing election results and also knowing that this was the election that draw the most voters in terms of municipal elections in the history of Senegal. So it was basically like another presidential election. So, and uh, I think that was important to um, make that precision. And usually we end this conversation with the fun questions, but you guys have already had the chance to answer those questions with our uh, favorite food, favorite places, or top three places you want to travel and top three novels. So we're not going to do that again, but instead, <laughs> I was just curious to know uh, if you have any favorite meal or food during the months of Ramadan. Uh, is there any meal that you really crave <laughs> during this month or that <laughs> you are, I don't know, keen on uh, eating, especially during iftar? Maram? Is this a trick question for Omar? Because he's a bear and you are a jack? <laughs> Not <trying>? really. <laughs> are you trying to trap him somewhere? No, um, Omar, Omar, Omar is, uh, uh, what is it called? 
in Senegal, there's still what we say, uh, somebody yeah. who, <laughs> who doesn't necessarily live by, need by God's name, but lives by God's name. Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> one is that. <laughs> exactly, an asset. <laughs> I, I personally really don't have um, a favorite meal during Ramadan, but I tend to eat light. Mm. And I do not eat um, at Suhor. I don't wake up to eat at Suhor. Mm-hmm. Simply because I am somebody who goes to bed very early and I don't like having my tummy heavy. Yeah. So I, you know, I could be fasting for, you know, month and month. I don't, I'm not the kind of people who really feel the fast that that hard. Um. So for me, I usually eat light but I drink a lot of tea. So I have favorite teas mm. that don't have any caffeine that I line up in the evening. What, what, do you have any um, in mind that you want to share? Is that, yeah, this is not, this is not is that advertising. Same, yeah, this is, yeah, this is not a same <laughs> speech, but, but my sister makes this, this granulated ginger. Um, mm-hmm. And from she, she, she lives in Kaolak and she makes this, this ginger that she granulates and it looks like, um, sugar crumbs but it's ginger oh. uh, and it has mint and lemon oh wow so i usually make that so usually they usually make it like like ginger you know you're from senegal you know the, the mm-hmm. drink ginger mm-hmm. so it's meant to be like that but for me i take a mint tea bag and i seep it and i add that to it nice and i have so many other teas that i find you know all over the place, depending on the stores that I visit. I'm, you know, I, I don't drink coffee, so I love teas. Yeah. And at iftar, I will maybe make a cup of that ginger, but before going to bed, I'll drink some chamomile. So. Yeah. Where can yeah. where can I find that 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 ginger? I'll Is hook it... you up with that advertising because we don't advertise. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I mean, this we, we don't. I'll make... tell you off off offline. You we, know. We don't make money off of this. Uh... <laughs> This podcast, so it's fine. But sure, well, she, offline. She, she sells offline. them. She sells them, and sometimes when she sees people coming to the US, she sends them to me because the women from the platform that I run love it, so they 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 oh. they buy it. Awesome. Yeah, but it's it's just a new technology that they have been using in because she is a part of a female entrepreneurship group, mm-hmm. and they have all these workshops about how to make local teas, local you awesome. know products and stuff so she has that in bisap she has it in ginger and awesome. you just add the water so anyway i i can find you some and send them yeah to you. please i will, I will yeah. inbox you yeah and this okay. is in kaulak right like they make yeah she lives kaulak. in kaulak she's my oldest sister. and she's a politician too from venue <laughs> ah madam i see now i'm not i'm not part of those politics but she is huh Omar, that, that, that explains a lot. lot. <laughs> <laughs> for, for who? Me or her? For you too, madam. No! I am not for Benno. I don't even vote in Senegal. Right, yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't like them. <laughs> you don't like Benno? At all! I thought, they were, I, thought, I thought they were doing a good job. I They're Mackie taking was... too much of her time. She could be doing more, so many other things. Yeah. She could sell more tea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, I will definitely inbox you. I'm okay, no problem. Umar, what about you? Um, I don't think I have any Ramadan insights to, to share. Uh, one, one thing that I just realized that it is uh, Ramadan is halfway through and I haven't had any bisak, uh, which is something. Yeah, I you need know, to fix that. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if there's any in Ithaca. Before moving here, I used to get some at the, the Mexican stores. Usually, would sell bisak the dry, mm. and then uh, I would make them at home. So I don't know if there is even any Mexican stores. But but uh, Omar, Amazon is now the marketplace, the global marketplace. Yeah, you yeah, can. you're right. And yeah. there is also um, a Senegalese marketplace. I I can find it and send it to you guys. She's very good and she can ship it anywhere. I think the shipping is free, depending on how much you buy. Yeah. 
But I also I also have this app, Uma, so I should you hook do? you up. Oh, yeah, you know, in Ithaca, <laughs> I should, should hook you share. up. Yeah, share no, the wealth. Don't worry. <laughs> I will share. <laughs> I could probably send you some too. Uh, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> because again, the Ben Ben Bokiaka militant makes them in powder. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's reflective of the name Ben No Bokoyaka Unity for hope. So we hope that we hope that Madam will, will hook us up with some bisap and ginger. All they do is talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. It is always, always, always a pleasure to have you on the Africanist uh, Africanist podcast and. Uh, Thank you so much. I know you're very busy and you still uh, managed to come back to uh, the podcast and talk about uh, the current political situation in Senegal and, of course, the Sonko and Ajisar case, which has been at the forefront of the popular conversations and also the media headlines. So I cannot thank you guys enough. Uh, and, of course, I hope you will come back uh, as we are going through uh, the preliminary hearings and towards a trial uh, in this case, I will certainly have you back uh, to talk more about this and the meaning for uh, uh, Senegal and uh, rape victims and all of that. So thank you, Umar. Uh, thank you, Maram. And I hope to talk to you and see you soon. Thank you, Thank you Bamba. Thanks, Bamba. Nice to talk to you, Omar, and share the platform. All right. And on that yeah. note, I give <laughs> you guys... Thank you. Thank you. So I give you guys a rendezvous uh, very soon for another special episode of the African Podcast. In the meantime, stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Kondiamo Africa, mon lanyan. Maneja mo Africa, moy sunyo na tangge.